This morning we're going to continue in our series of sermons on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, next Sunday we'll conclude this series. And we're going to stay on this petition that concerns forgiveness. The fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer also have forgiven our debtors. And in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus makes this link between the forgiveness that we need to receive from God and our willingness to forgive others. So the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer reminds us every time that we pray it, if we think about what we're saying, it reminds us that as Christians, we are called to be forgiven forgivers. And this truth kind of hit home a couple of weeks ago when I met a fellow pastor and I asked him how he's doing and how his family is. And he proceeded to tell me a story that was hard to hear when he told me that several years ago, his daughter went on a missions trip to Latin America. And while she was there, she was assaulted by a gang of men. And he said, my daughter's doing better. She's recovering through healing and through prayer or through counseling and through prayer. She's finding healing. But I said to him, I said, well, as a father, how did you handle that? Did you forgive those who did that terrible thing to your daughter? Did you feel like you needed to forgive? And he said, well, I came to the place where I knew I had to forgive them and I Remember Jesus's prayer on the cross to the persecutors, to his own persecutors. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And even though these men have never been caught, he said, this is the prayer I pray for them. Father, forgive them for they didn't know what they did. So here is a man who is following the example of Christ, his Lord and and the spirit of Christ. Contrast that with another true story I heard recently of an old man who is at the end of his life, who has kept a list of people who've heard him through the years. True story. He's actually written down the names of everyone with whom he has a grievance and he calls it his hate list. And unless God intervenes in his heart, he is going to go to his grave with hatred and unforgiveness in his heart. Now, those are two extreme examples, of course. But those are common reactions. Again, extreme examples. But are we able to forgive those who hurt us or do we collect grievances? And do we allow unforgiveness to swell our hearts? The man who had that hate list, I'm sure, knew the Lord's Prayer. He probably even prayed it a time or two in his life. Maybe he was raised in the church and recited it. But obviously he doesn't believe it because Jesus in this prayer teaches us that God's forgiveness of us is linked to our willingness to forgive others. And the sobering truth is that if you pray this prayer with unforgiveness in your heart towards another person, you are Condemning yourself. So, brothers and sisters, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called very clearly in this prayer and in the teaching of Jesus to be forgiven forgivers. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the starting place and then some steps we can take to practice Christian forgiveness. 
This is something that we need uh, throughout our lives, of course, because we hurt other people. We need to be forgiven by other people. Other people hurt us. We need to teach our children and our grandchildren these truths about forgiveness. So we'll start with how does this happen? And of course, it begins by letting the truth that Jesus Christ has forgiven us sink into our hearts and minds. The source of Christian forgiveness is Jesus Christ. And in order to have the power to forgive, we have to get in touch with the source and stay in touch with the source that is Jesus Christ. And that's why I picked this story in our gospel reading, this beautiful story of Luke 7, of the woman who was a known sinner in her community receiving the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. This is a very beautiful, well-crafted story. It's filled with emotional tension. It's filled with irony. It resolves beautifully. But I want to draw your attention to the, the crux of this story. The statement in verse 47 that Jesus makes to Simon the Pharisee when he says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. In other words, her expression of love demonstrates that she knows that she's forgiven of a great debt. It's not that her act of love earned Jesus' forgiveness. It's that her expression of love is a demonstration that she understands and has been changed by the forgiving love of God through Jesus Christ. And she walked away from that experience a changed person. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And that's what she was after she walked out of that house. And can you imagine a woman like this keeping a hate list herself? Can you imagine a woman like this after she's been given forgiven so much? Collecting grievances throughout her life. I don't think so. Because if we know the forgiving love of God. It's natural then to love much and to forgive much. In fact, this lady is the opposite of the unmerciful servant that we talked about last week from Matthew 18. Remember that parable? The king forgave the unmerciful servant millions of dollars worth of debt. But then he, as soon as he left the king's chamber, happened upon somebody who owed him a couple thousand dollars. And he did not forgive that servant. And so the unforgiving spirit of the unmerciful servant revealed a hardened heart, even though the king showed him great mercy. And Jesus is pointing out how incongruent, what a contradiction that is to know that you've been forgiven so much, but then to be unwilling to forgive others. So the spiritual power to forgive Ladies and gentlemen, the spiritual power to forgive comes from knowing the forgiving love of Jesus Christ and considering the cross of Jesus where God paid a debt that we could never pay. What was our psalm this morning? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Do you know that blessing today? Well, if you do, that's the power then 
That's the spiritual power to forgive others who hurt you. So I want to make this point loud and clear that Christian forgiveness is not something we can do within our own willpower. It's not a matter of moral effort. It is a matter of receiving the grace of God in our lives through Jesus Christ and then extending that grace to others. And so if you have a problem forgiving. Go back to the cross of Christ and let that soften your heart towards those who have offended you. So that's the starting point for forgiveness. That is acknowledging the forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ. Here are some next steps. Here's part of the process, biblically, of forgiving somebody who's hurt you. Step number one is what takes place in our heart. Forgiveness in our heart. The basis for this is Mark eleven twenty five. If you have a Bible, I don't know if we have the scripture to put on the screen, but I do want us to actually put our eyes on the text. So if you have a Bible, if you want to look at this, just to show you, I'm not making this up, ladies and gentlemen. This is page 847 in the Pew Bibles. And Jesus says this. After teaching on prayer. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Sound familiar? This is a very consistent teaching of Jesus. The point is, at this point, the forgiveness is only really happening in the heart of the person. This person's in prayer. And somebody comes to mind. Somebody from the past or maybe the present. Maybe a parent. Maybe a relative. Maybe a brother or sister in the synagogue at this time. But you're praying. And the thought of this person and their grievance against you or that you have with them comes up. And Jesus says right then and there in your heart, forgive the person. Tell God that you're not going to take vengeance upon them, that you're not going to hold this against them. So that is the vertical step between you and God, forgiveness in the heart. You haven't gone to that person. You haven't done anything with that person at this point. But in prayer, you've forgiven them. And by the way, there's a teaching today that's gaining some ground in the church that says we don't have to forgive somebody until they repent to us. And um, the idea is that God doesn't forgive us until we repent, so we don't have to forgive people until they repent. Now, I, I think that's problematic for a number of reasons. I don't have time to go into all the reasons why that's problematic. I read a lot about that uh, doctrine, that teaching this week. But let me just say that that belief that we don't have to forgive until somebody repents, I think is in clear tension with Mark eleven twenty five because this is unconditional. If you have anything against anyone right then and there, you forgive them in your heart. Again, I'm not saying this is an easy process, but this is what Christ is teaching us here. So the first step is forgiveness in our hearts. No strings attached. Now, the second step is a little bit harder. The first one's hard enough, depending on the level of pain that somebody has caused. But the second step is even harder, and that's going to the person. Now, before we get there, I want to say this, that sometimes we I'm not talking about 
every little grievance, every little offense, every little slight that we have to go through a process of repenting and reconciling with somebody. You know, there are times where we need to overlook an offense. There's actually a proverb that teaches that. Uh, Proverbs 19.11. Boy, don't you wish this would apply to our political discourse today? Listen to this verse. A man's wisdom gives his gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense or an insult. So there are times when we just have to overlook things and we have to be practice forbearance and mercy. Uh, And if you don't do that, then you're going to spend a lot of your time, especially in family life. (laughs) Most of your time having conversations about forgiveness and trying to reconcile and such. So um, sometimes we overlook the offense. But if the offense is serious, and this is a call, a wisdom call that we have to make. If the offense is serious, and if it's hindering your relationship with somebody, and there's a barrier there, and you get up in the morning and you think about what they did to you, and you go to bed at night and you think about what they did to you, and you're driving in the car, and and what they did comes to mind and raises your blood pressure, and when you see them, you go the other way. Brothers and sisters, you've got to reconcile with that person. There's a problem there. Whether it's in the church or in family life, or among friends, reconciliation needs to happen. So that's the second step. It is taking action and it is going to the person who's offended you and offering them forgiveness. And you see that in Matthew 18 and then Luke 17.3. Let me quote from Luke 17.3. This is what... Alfred Poirier's calls transactional forgiveness in his book on forgiveness. This something happens on the horizontal plane here. Luke 17, 3. If you're listen to the pattern here, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. That's the pattern. You go to the person and you say, listen, there's a barrier here in our relationship. And I've already forgiven you. In my heart. But I want you to know. What is what's going on. This is why we have this tension. Do you see this? Are, are you willing to fess up to this? And then at that moment, if they confess, and usually it's a lot messier than this, believe me. <laughs> we all know that confession doesn't come easy. Anybody who's dealt with children knows that's the case and as adults we find ways to rationalize but if they move towards a place of confession and repentance then again you can reconfirm that you forgive them and that's the moment that they are forgiven experientially you've already forgiven them in the heart but until they own up and repent they don't they're not in the in the experience of being forgiven they can't because they haven't received it you understand the forgiveness is a gift that you offer to somebody But if they're not going to take the gift and open it up, then they're not in the state of being forgiven by you. You've forgiven them in the heart, but they haven't received. And again, that's a messy thing because most people have ways and we all have ways of rationalizing our offenses. And usually if you're in conflict with somebody, there's some things that you need to confess as well. I tell you, in ministry, this is the very this is the hardest thing to do. And when I've gone through this with people, it is like. Until this happens, there is a weight 
pressing down on you until the reconciliation happens, or at least you begin this attempt and process of reconciliation. So that's the those are the steps. I mean, first, it starts in your heart. And then if you need to, you've got to go to the person. You got to reconcile if you're able to. And then there are four promises of forgiveness. I want to give this to you. And if you're taking notes, you're going to find this helpful to write down. This comes from Peacemakers Ministry. Four promises of forgiveness. Somebody said earlier in the early service, they said, well, I don't know if I forgive people. I pray this part of the Lord's Prayer, but I skip through it real quickly because I'm not sure if I got it right. So here are four promises of forgiveness based on Scripture. I don't have time to give you all the Scriptures, but this comes from Peacemakers Ministry. I will not dwell on this incident. That's easier said than done, but again, we're aspiring to this. Only God's forgiveness is perfect. We're aspiring, we're aiming for this, but we're going to say we're not going to keep Rehashing this in our mind with God's help. I will not bring it up and use it against you. Number two, I will not dwell. Number one, on the incident, I will not bring it up and use it against you again and again. Here's the third one that is really challenging. I will not talk to others about it. You offer to forgive somebody. You're promising that you're not going to bring it up between them and other people. And then I'm not going to allow this incident to stand between us any longer or hinder our relationship any longer. Now, let me give it to you in the children's version, which will be easier for all of us to remember. Okay, Peacemakers has come up with this little ditty to teach our children and grandchildren the four steps or the four promises of forgiveness. Good thoughts hurt you not. Gossip never friends forever. Good thoughts hurt you not. Gossip never friends forever. So those are the four biblical steps of forgiveness. And again, I know that this process is not easy, and especially when there's been deep pain and hurt. And our forgiveness is never going to be perfect. Only God's forgiveness is. In fact, as we get into the process of forgiving other people and especially the peace of reconciliation, we probably need to pray God to forgive us because we're not forgiving the other person the way we ought to forgive them. It's a messy process. But what I'm trying to say, friends, and what we really need to guard against is an unforgiving heart and spirit that's unwilling to forgive and that hangs on to grudges and grievances with a death grip, because that's what it is spiritually, is a death grip. It will choke off the work of God in your life. And it's sobering to think about this teaching of Jesus that there are people who leave this world clinging on to their grudges. There's a story about John Wesley when he was in Georgia as a missionary. Do you know John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, was here in the United States for a time to try to reach the Indians? And he was in Georgia and he had an interaction with the governor of Georgia, General Oglethorpe. And Oglethorpe bragged to Wesley, I never forgive. And Wesley said, well, then I hope, sir, sincerely, you never sin. Because Jesus makes this link. Willingness to forgive. 
with the forgiveness of sin. So, brothers and sisters, here's the question. Is there somebody in your life you need to forgive? Family member. Friend, relative, maybe even somebody who's no longer with us, who's passed on. But in your heart, you need to forgive. A spouse, a child. Somebody that you need to forgive from your heart. Somebody you need to go to in order to pursue reconciliation. Don't put it off. Pray about it and let the Lord lead you. A few weeks ago, I finished the book Unbroken about uh, Louis Zamperini, who was a POW in Japan during World War II. A movie came out about his life. And after the war, Zamperini wrote to the prison guard who tortured him on a daily basis. And this man tortured Zamperini in the most sadistic manner humanly possible. It's one of those things you read about and you have to just put it down and you can't read it any further. And Zapparini, after the war, wrote this letter to the prison guard. I'm going to quote it. Under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner of war, but also as a human being, were stripped from me. It was struggle, a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live. Acknowledge the pain. He didn't sweep that under the rug. And then he says, the post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble. But thanks to a confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love has replaced the hate I have for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. I also forgive you and now hope that you would become a Christian. That is the power of Christ. That is the miracle of forgiveness. That he could forgive a man who did those things against him. Who do you need to forgive? Through Christ, forgiven people can forgive others. And love can replace hate. Amen.